Yeah, appreciate y'all stopping out. So. <laughs> so do y'all want to have like the brief history behind the house or just yeah. walk around? Or? I mean, and we also have Um, Kelly and she and I grew up here with our um, twin cousins and so they were here for a couple years but my um, grandfather and grandmother built it in the 60s they used to live in a town called Riverhead which is like 25 minutes from here I forget what, what the uh, house is called the preacher lives in that, that was being torn down and so they brought the materials first to the uh, edge of the water he said I wanted to build it there for some reason <laughs> but then um, like overnight people just steal the lumber so they brought it much further here inland and I think in that time um, in the 60s there were probably probably like 30 or 40 houses on the whole territory and now there's like 160 at least mm. so I think they just had this um, early advantage and that's why the property is kind of so large yeah. so it's like just from that huge tree to the fence over there and on the way down to the water is a path that's one of the benefits. This is the space we can uh, peek downstairs real quick. It's like the uh, original house space that we're slowly cleaning it and making it feel like a workout area. Nice. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> so you have to sweep up, but um, none of the residents so far have taken advantage. <laughs> from the 60s but the wood especially in this area is um from 1845 wow so that's this, cool so that's actually like the good lumber to take care of it yeah but this whole side of the house because the um, kitchen is here and we had a really bad uh, <laughs> yeah. um and then the bathroom's here and the dishwasher is always here um there's just so much water and moisture leaks yeah. and so we replaced it all you can see like the new stuff but as long as the um, old stuff is dry, it's pretty good. It looks super bright and shiny. Yeah, nothing less than wood. I'm moving into like an 1850s bungalow, bracing myself. For yeah. <laughs> there are no. I already can tell there's no right angle in the whole place. That's what my aunt said about this house. Grandfather who built it. I don't think he owned a level. <laughs> so, <laughs> I bought it. Yeah. Up upstairs, definitely feel like you're leaning. <laughs> but the uh, this is the original. Um, Dimensions. Our neighboring sister tribes who want to have land and be recognized, just like Shinnecock, are unable to do so because uh, people don't want to give back land that shouldn't um, shouldn't have been taken in the first place. So there's all these issues of like, indigenous values that, that somehow survived thousands of years before industrialization and colonization. And we like to think of these values as uh, primitive because we didn't have the um, the massive metal tools and warfare and domination and what we consider civilization. So um, at least at Ma's house, we're trying to appreciate where we came from, see it as something that isn't primitive or something stuck in the past and see it as um, maybe a 
a viable opportunity for the future, something to return to or at least um, learn from. There's a lot of things about like what do you do as an individual or as an artist to uh, serve your community. If there's that very fine line between people seeing art and artists as this luxury or they're like an unneeded role in society. But I think when we look at history and our culture, artists are the ones who define that. They preserve it. They make it known to everyone what's important to us as a society and what we're uh, what, where we've come from, where we're going, and what sustains us and gives us hope. And so I think this is like, even though it's <laughs> like definable, it is very abstract. And so with um, Moss House being on a, a sovereign nation territory with uh, a finite space and resources, um, I'm always wondering, like, what can I do to um, provide the most to the community? And what does the community want in terms of art and programming? Um, education. Um, I think it just goes back to the generosity of having space in the first place. So I'm uh, 31 now, and I know a lot of people in my generation uh, won't have immediate access to like their grandmother's home or to space to do their own uh, projects. And so it is definitely a gift to have this um, space, to have Ma's house. And I think that's something that we as a um, society or as a people, um, don't do often enough. Uh, this used to kinds of holes in the walls, so we're restoring this. And so this used to be my uh, childhood bedroom, but we're uh, turning it into a library and computer lab. And um, But the um, amazing thing about this library is that uh, every single book is uh, Native American content. So you have like fiction, you have poetry of the different regions, and on the right is academic journals. It's like more um, interpretations mostly <laughs> of everything else on the shelves. Yeah. And then we're building up more like contemporary books on like decolonization and just um, different land back initiatives and things like that. Incredible. This, um, some of our archival photos of them. Um, Shinnecock ancestors who were uh, colorizing the images and doing captions for. And then this is the um, Shinnecock seal and flag with the actual yellow background and a lot of the sites associated with Shinnecock and so these are just in the vicinity. This one is like Shinnecock's uh, pre-1859 territory and then it's just this today, pre-1800s. But everything here is pretty much rightfully ours. Coming into the dance arena at this time, we have our Shinnecock leaders, our council of trustees. Um, pretty much, like East of Here, Spokane, and um, there's different dialects of it, and that was true across the um, Long Island Sound. I think it was like in the 1880s, like the last like fluent speaker oh. passed away. But they um, preserved it through the Bible, so we're relearning it. But no one oh. still speaks it. <laughs> it's, it's, you need like the community and the practice. But uh, Stony Brook is actually working on that class, so they're working with us and Uncle oh, cool. Chog and Mohican people to do that.
Um, I think about uh, Shinnecock lands that should be in our uh, stewardship today, but aren't because of illegal uh, seizures. And so um, land is part of who we are. It's part of our identity. And in fact, with uh, Shinnecock and the other 13 uh, tribal communities on Long Island, New York, uh, we actually got our sort of tribal entity name from the land rather than, I suppose, when the colonists arrived, they called it America and uh, became Americans. And so I think it's really a whole different way of thinking about um, our place in the world and how unique this connection is. When I think about land ownership and our neighbors here in Southampton, there's just so much uh, of that disparity between like individuals who like have too much wealth and have too much power to just gain so much of the land that it's to the point where like you don't even know why one person would need this much <laughs> just to have. And um, the thing about the land out here too is that so much of the value comes from real estate. So um, it's an asset that never loses value unless there's like a sea rise event or catastrophe of that that sort. Besides that, these places just accumulate wealth to the point that you don't even have to Airbnb or rent them or even uh, maintain them. They just are desirable for what they are. And so what that ends up uh, doing is pushing out people who actually want to live here year round. So this isn't specific to the Hamptons or this part of the world. I think it's happening everywhere. But um, what is true is that we have a lot of the top one percenters who do come for one or two weeks at a time throughout the year, and that's it. So I think it's always staggering when you, uh, like, I like to look at maps and both historic and just modern uh, satellite ones. And if you look at uh, Shinnecock's land, it's just so green and uh, kind of used to the point that um, we're, we're just using what we need to build and have um, community. And then on the other side of the water, or when you enter Southampton, it's just mansion on top of mansion. So as a, a Shinnecock person, an indigenous person, I think that we need to uh, change our relationship to um, just having like little pockets of land that I guess middle-class and lower-class people are allowed to have access to. And um, also just have indigenous people have voices at the table in terms of um, like, I think, for example, if we were represented better in Southampton or had a seat in like the supervisor or town council roles, I don't think that we would have easily conceded this land to the highest bidder. There's just a lot of ways that we need to go back to indigenous values in terms of um, land, land stewardship, land ownership and um, communal spaces and how it's used. So um I think it's always staggering. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, like I, like, I'm sure you saw like the draw gates at the entrance, like those big. Oh no, I didn't notice that actually. Oh, that's a new development. Just, oh. like, people thinking like this draw bridge type of system will solve everything. <laughs> Trespassers. <laughs> but mostly we have like. Is trespassing an issue? Oh yeah, in the um, in like five years ago, people would come up thinking this is like the drug spot to get right, substances, yeah, yeah. and then um, people often come up like usually to our um, cemetery. And like have their lunch break looking at the water. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know why people think they're just like this is like public area, just a parking mm, lot. I don't yeah. Yeah. We were telling Eva also about like just meddling over there mm. all the 
you know, demographics of the area. So I guess it's all under the umbrella of the Hamptons, but mm-hmm. this, like, particular hyper-billionaire concentrated mm-hmm. area that's, like, right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which is where those protests were last week, right? Oh, yeah, we had a... Um... New York Times wrote it up. Oh, they did? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, uh, is it the beach back then? Yeah. <laughs> they had, like, plastic pitchfork mm-hmm. props and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Good touch. Right, right on the beach. Is Roger Waters still hanging out and doing stuff? I don't think so. Not as much anymore. Oh. So he helped with, the, um, there was, like, a sacred site that was stolen from us in, like, the 1859 era. Yeah. And then um, South Hampton Town has just kept it since then, even though it was blatantly wrong. But um, Roger Waters of um, Pink Floyd, he ended up donating $5 million to get it back. So it's just this one like half-acre parcel, but we're trying to fight back for, um, I think it's like 2,000 square acres. So right. that was like $5 million for a half. So imagine it's fundraising. <laughs> but it was taken from us, so it should yeah. just be free to get all that back. Yeah, right. What's going on with the casino with that? I think um, it was just like yeah, that definitely goes to the heart of the conversation we're having about land because mm-hmm. um, the reason why land back is such a important uh, movement for indigenous people is because like uh, industries, communities, um, housing, everything is based on the land and um, a lot of us are pushed onto reserves these are the bad lands or lands that are much further removed from our original territories and even though we were um, nomadic in some ways um, we had these different um, village sites that were uh, maintained and um, depended upon so we would just move from location to location within a region and allow resources that have been exhausted um, for a couple of months while living there to recover and go to the next spot and um, thrive off of that location. And so there's that um, whole (laughs) uh, misunderstanding about how Native people use the land, but also the idea of um, the uh, stereotype that Native people didn't know how to cultivate the land. And so just because all of the crops and the way we planted were so different, I think a lot of people thought um, because they didn't see um, the European fields or um, structures that are permanent, I think that contributed to the land loss as well. And mm-hmm. um, you mentioned before that uh, the public sees Native people as being static or stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, there's that, which is true. And then there's also the other issue of, like, if we do want to be an environmentalist, you're either like a crazy tree hugger or you're a Native person. And it's seen as a stigma to step into either of those roles. And so I want um, people to think that even though this isn't your ancestor's land, you still have to take care of it. Um, So I think there is that reality that like Native people have had, say, here for 10,000 years. And then the new people came and just saw it as a extraction opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I think more and more people are saying they're like Native New Yorkers or Native Mainers or <laughs> something like that, but they don't treat the land as a Native American would. So I think there's a whole different way that we need to look at our relationship in that way too. Like historic examples of 
like staying on the land too long is um, in this country the dust bowl and the mm-hmm. other a statistic about today indigenous people having four percent of the land but 80 percent of the biodiversity and so i think we do have to look at those two realities and then there's just the idea of like farmland in general how it's exhausting the soil and using way too much fertilizer and water and how indigenous practices were able to sustain that and only create enough for like the people who are actually living and can eat it instead of like we're saying the most capitalistic way of using like the number one plant over acres and acres and creating way too much hoping that it will sell <laughs> to somewhere somewhere in the world there's a um, Shinnecock constitution that I think is like on the way to get passed but there's no like communal one or like civic engagement or anything like that <laughs> we um, some, something that keeps things slow is that like every government or trustee decision has to be voted on by the whole community mm-hmm. so which is like I've, I've only just learned about this the kind of foreign to early American government yeah. like democracy mm-hmm. because Algonquin is like you couldn't be more democratic in decision making Europeans would come here and be like can we do this and they'd be like let's get back to you and it'd mm-hmm. take like maybe a month to, to ask everybody mm-hmm. be like no oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they just got kind of sick of that mm-hmm. you know the Europeans were impatient and terrible so they got sick of that they mm-hmm. were like we're just going to take it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw that in the Shinnecock Museum too there was like there was something maybe a belt or something that was mm-hmm. well the um, one that gets the most um, eyes and credit is like the um, Iroquois Confederacy belt and they yes. say that's based on the or the U.S. Constitution's based on that mm-hmm. yeah. rule of law and democracy. The cool thing is that since the Iroquois are upstate New York, and far from the coast, they had to like get those beaded um, uh, the beads from us. Probably uh, <laughs> we never get the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism has so many flaws and is contributing to so many societal problems, but we don't even know like, what is the alternative. Like um, instead of just, like peak capitalism, we can't even handle um, socialism in any <laughs> capacity, or like the government actually taxing so that we can all have healthcare and other yeah. benefits that are basic. So with people up in arms about that, it's even harder to just take care of one another and. Um, be willing to share um, what we um, have, like we're saying, in abundance. Like we have the yeah. resources for everyone. We're just not willing to allow those who like, don't have like the generational wealth to have access or don't have like a, a patent or copyright on something and get wealthy that way. And mm-hmm. so even though we've been uh, forcefully assimilated, we've had our statuses uh, terminated, I'm just... Um, many other things of genocide that um, is, it, it is amazing that we're still here. Um, I think there's so much more that we have to do as a country and as communities 
to um, make the relationships better with indigenous people. So uh, many of us are still um, either forcefully removed or we can't even afford to have a home on our land, like even if Americans do agree that we should. So we like to say that Native people are um, only part of the past or no longer here uh, because of the convenience of not having to deal with like moving at home, moving whole communities or golf courses. And um, I think it's just a, a sad thing that <laughs> like we um, like we know there's like a hint of our role in all of this, but don't actually want to take the steps to like make our guilt and make our past um, feel better or actually do the actions needed. I always try to remind people that, especially being an institution about art and education on Native culture and topics, especially that Native history isn't like a unique margin of our story. It's the uh, foundation to American history and the land that we all occupy. And so I try to remind people that um, we all take part in this history and we do have reconciliation to do. And so I think in, in order for us as a nation and as a society to actually have that collective liberation, um, we do have to reckon with like, how do we um, come together and have better relations and how do we undo some of the things that, even though it wasn't us who committed these atrocities, we still thrive off of the territories that um, those ancestors once did. So I think we definitely have to reevaluate how we treat one another, how we um, have such an unequal uh, society. And I think that starts with indigenous people and um, uplifting our stories our culture, um, the viability of our self-determination and our sovereignty. And we don't have that much political power. We don't have that many resources, but still. So I think we do have to see ourselves as a collective who need to uplift everyone, not just ourselves, the immediate family and our community. We might have to go beyond that little circle that we have and make sure everyone's served. Ladies and gentlemen, you are seeing many different nations of Indian people represented here in this grand entry from all across the United States and Canada.